0: World turned upside down. That's certainly something, a sentiment that most of us can resonate with these days. The world turned upside down. Most of us, at some point over the past year, would be able to proclaim with them that we have had our world in little and large ways turned upside down we've all and people all over the world have had our world in some ways turned upside down but I also think that in this moment it's hard to hear that song sung in that way integrated into that story in that passage of Scripture without at least acknowledging the irony of the juxtaposition. Because the meaning of the song, when it's sung in that way, that line that we heard in the scripture, turn the world upside down, is a different meaning. It's actually juxtaposed in interesting ways to the way that that line is being used in the scripture. Turn the world up side down many of you are aware that that particular line sung in that particular way comes from the smash hit Broadway musical Hamilton and it comes from a song that is about the battle of Yorktown the battle when General George Washington was trying to defeat General Cornwallis and he sends Lafayette and Alexander Hamilton to take two key positions and on their way to take those two key positions Uh, They began to sing as they move into battle about what they're hoping to accomplish through this revolution. And they talked about the creation of a new and free nation. A new and free nation that would turn the world upside down. And we know in many ways they accomplished what they set out to accomplish. In In fact, in many ways we're here in this space, the way that we're here in this space... And we're here in the space of our lives and the way that we are in the space of our lives because they accomplished what they set out to accomplish. They turned the world upside down. In fact, many of us, all of us probably, will be celebrating that in various ways a week from now, the way those American revolutionaries turned the world upside down. And there's so much about that that we're grateful for. And there is a juxtaposition here because the way that they turned the world upside down is different than the way of turning the world upside down that is expressed here in Acts chapter 17. Because we know that the American revolutionaries turned the world upside down through a strategy that involved politics and diplomacy and war and violence and bloodshed. Which is, which is quite different than the, the way the early disciples of Jesus and the way we've been called in our own lives to flip the world upside down. We see this juxtaposition here in Acts 17, where by verse 6, there is an angry, violent mob singing a tune about the apostles, about Paul and his associates that sounds very similar to this tune we just heard from Hamilton. These followers of Jesus are turning the world upside down, but they're not turning the world upside down through war or violence or bloodshed, but by living out and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that calls them to live in a way that often seems upside down in a world that actually is upside down, which I know can be a bit confusing when we think about it. In fact, it's, it's not only confusing when we think about it in this way, but it's even confusing when we try to understand the way Jesus tried to make it understandable to us. For instance, earlier in this service, we read together words from the Sermon on the Mount. From that famous snippet in the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, where Jesus is trying to give us a glimpse of God's view of reality, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And Luke's version of this sermon is pretty raw. He doesn't add the soft spots, the poor in spirit, or those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but Luke simply says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are you if you are grieving. And this is all supposed to be good news, wonderful news. And yet, when has being poor or grieving or persecuted ever felt like good news? When has struggling in this way, in this world like that, ever felt like good news? It hasn't. And yet sometimes when people talk about the Sermon on the Mount and they try to explain this part of the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually put in front of us as if it's supposed to be not good news but good advice. Or we're supposed to strive to to take on these behaviors in our lives, but that's not actually what Jesus is saying here. Now, he's not urging people to take on particular behaviors, but instead is describing a reality as true that often seems anything but true in this world. People who are grieving often find themselves going to their grave uncomforted in this world. People who are longing for justice frequently find themselves with that sense of longing unquenched. The meek don't often inherit the earth. Case in point, the American Revolution. How many empires can you think of that have been launched by the meek, in fact? It doesn't happen. Not really. So the point here isn't that Jesus is describing timeless truths that we might use to win the world in our lives. But instead, what Jesus is doing is describing a different kind of world. One that is either turned right side up from God's perspective, or perhaps from ours upside down. Many years ago, there was a movie, some of you may have seen or may not have seen, that might help us get our minds wrapped around this. It was about the breaking of the sound barrier. Maybe you've seen this movie, and the movie was about those first test pilots who actually took a plane past the speed of sound. And when this happened, nobody really, many people didn't really think this was actually possible, that it could actually happen. What most people assumed, and and this bore itself out in in the... uh, in the test was that when a plane began to approach the speed of sound, that it would either disintegrate or crash. And and as they went through test after test after test, this is actually what they saw happen when they got to about that magic, magic point of 735 miles an hour, things would begin to go kind of wacky and the plane would either disintegrate or it would, it would crash. But, but finally, there was one test pilot who had a hunch about something that that played itself out right, and that was this sense that what was happening when the plane began to approach the sound barrier, what was happening when the plane began to approach 735 miles an hour, was that the controls would start to operate backwards, so that Pulling the stick to, to, to make the plane bring its nose up would, would actually drive the nose downward. And so, in a bold move, in a daring move, what this pilot decided to do was when his plane was approaching that magic mark of 735 miles an hour, and, and he would normally maybe pull back, he pushed the stick forward which would normally have driven the plane into the ground, but his hunch turned out to be correct. The controls were operating in reverse. And so when he pushed the controls forward, the plane then flew up faster and freer than it ever had before. Really a cool moment that is absolutely historically inaccurate. It didn't happen this way and we know that because for years people would ask Chuck Yeager the the pilot who actually first broke the sound barrier about the movie and if this is the way he did it and he said no it actually didn't happen anything like that however the movie's fiction does offer us a graphic illustration of what Jesus is doing in these seemingly simple words from the Sermon on the Mount what he's doing is He's trying to take people through a barrier to a place that they have never been before where things seem to operate backward, or better yet, upside down. And he does this by inviting people to live on this side of the barrier in a way that reflects life on the other side of the barrier, a place that we often refer to as heaven. And, and, and thinking about this, not, not, not heaven as, as a place that's somewhere out there, but, but, but a place that is sort of an interconnected reality with where we live in this world. With the idea being that heaven is the place where God's rule and God's reign are already fully realized. And from the perspective of that side of reality, from God's perspective, Jesus says, blessed are the marginalized and the maligned and the mistreated. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. Jesus says the earth belongs to the humble and to the meek. Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus says the greatest of all must be the servant of all. This is what life looks like, Jesus says, where God rules and reigns is fully realized on the other side of the barrier. And Jesus is inviting those of us who have claimed him as Christ to actually let him on this side of the barrier take control of our lives and begin to operate them in a way that brings the life that is active on the other side of the barrier into this side. This is how it happens. This is how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. This is how the world gets turned upside down, or better yet, this is how the world gets turned right side up again. And if we live this way, in the way of Jesus, it can actually get us into trouble. This is what we see happening here with the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 17. They were living in a way that was in alignment with God and out of alignment with the world. And because of this, they were turning the world upside down and it incited an angry, violent mob against them. This is what can happen in little and large ways. This is why Paul says we are in the world and not of it. Not because we're not supposed to operate or engage the world, but because we are operating in this world from a different operating system. This is why Paul says the wisdom of God can seem like foolishness in this world because it seems to be coming from a kind of upside-down logic. This is why the way of the cross even as we celebrate it, can seem so counterintuitive in this world. Can, can seem can seem crazy. It doesn't seem to get us where we want to go. Not where our ambition seems to be driving us. In fact, it, it can often bring us into places that are dangerous. And we can begin to doubt it. And even want to desert it. Because it's not accomplishing for us what we want accomplished in our lives. This can happen especially when people really are at risk for living out the ways of Jesus and claiming Christ as Lord in this world. And this is why it can be helpful sometimes for us to be reminded of God's perspective and to get a glimpse of God's view of reality. We see through a glass darkly, Paul says. But God sees clearly, and Jesus came to give us a glimpse so that we would have this clarity as well. We see this here in the Beatitudes as Jesus describes to us how things work in a world turned right side up. We also see it in the life of Jesus as he lifts the veil through his life and love and helps us see what God is actually like. And we see it in other places as well. Like in the book of Revelation, we often think of the book of Revelation as if it was written about the future, but actually, the original hearers of the book of Revelation were meant to understand that these these different visions that were being given were actually a fuller view of reality, meant to give them a glimpse of all that's actually going on around them, because they were they were being persecuted for their faith, and 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 the persecution, the urging from the persecution for many of them was was that they were meant to worship, they were being asked to worship the Empire or the Emperor. And and, and some of that persecution could have been alleviated if they would only renounce their faith in Christ and begin to worship the Emperor. And this was tempting because it could have alleviated a lot of suffering in their lives. But John's revelation in the face of all that they were seeing from their tormentors and torturers, was meant to peel back the veil of reality and help them see that there was more going on around them than they could see with their eyes or hear with their ears. And so as they were being tortured and tormented for their faith in Jesus, they would begin to see that what was in front of them was not just their tormentors and torturers, but that they were actually also surrounded by saints and angels, a cloud of witnesses who were urging them on faithfulness there's a story like this in the Old Testament as well where Elisha and one of his servants are being pursued by an enemy army and, and, and Elisha is not really worried about this but his servant is all worked up about this and he keeps coming and saying they're out there and they've got tanks and they've got machine guns and they're they're coming to get us and they don't like us and he says don't worry Elisha says to his servant those who are for us are greater than those who are against us but you don't understand because they're after us and they're out there and they have the tanks and the machine guns and the horses and they're bloodthirsty and they're coming. Don't worry, he says. Those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And he continues to repeat this mantra until God pulls back the veil of reality and Elisha's servant begins to see what he saw. That that enemy army was also being surrounded themselves by an army of angels. Those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. There's more going on around us in this world than we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. And the life and gospel of Jesus is supposed to give us a glimpse of this so that we might begin to live in response to it in the upside-down way of Jesus. How do we do this? I think we begin to do this as we slowly begin to see all of reality through the lens of Christ. By immersing ourselves in the scripture and the life of Jesus and the spirit of Christ in this world. Some of you are probably aware that if you have two working eyes, you don't see two images of the world. Right? Most of us have two working eyes. And on our two working eyes, we have two working retinas. Many of us do. And yet, we don't see the world or engage the world as if we're viewing two separate images when we look around. But our our brain is, is so remarkable that it somehow brings those images together into one image, so we see the world the way that we do. Some of you are probably also aware that the images of the world that sit on our retinas sit on them upside down. So that logic would lead you to believe that we would be walking around as we are with a vision of the world that is upside down. But that's not what happens. Because our remarkable brain doesn't just put the two images together, it flips them upside down. Some people actually believe that, that babies see the world upside down for the first few years of their life until their brain adapts. But a brain can be retrained. And actually, there was an experiment where uh, participants were asked to put on glasses, and, and that glasses had inverted lenses so that it, it took the image before it landed on the retinas and went ahead and flipped them so that they would begin. To see things right side up but of course what happens the brain had been accustomed to processing the information in one way and the people began to see the world upside down until their brains adapted once again and it flipped the image I think this could be a helpful metaphor for us to as we think about what Jesus is inviting us to do in this world today Jesus has invited us to participate in God's redeeming work in the world, to be a part of flipping the world upside down. But for for us to do that, we have to learn to see the world and all that is in it through the lens of Jesus. And I think when this happens, we not only begin to see the world as Jesus sees it, but we begin to see our place in it. We look out at the world and we see beautiful things, wonderful things, Amazing things in this world that are in alignment with the ways of God and what God wants to see come true in this world. But we also look out into the world and we see things that just aren't right. Just aren't the way they ought to be. And we understand as followers of Christ that we are meant to engage these things with our lives in order to be a part of flipping this world upside down for Christ's sake. So again, how do we do this? Because we are so aware that we all have different perspectives on what that might mean. I think we do it slowly, intentionally, and we have to do it always humbly. And and one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament, and I'll close with this, might be a good illustration for how we can do this how we can approach the world in this way it happened you may remember just before God approached Moses through the burning bush I've told you before that one of the most interesting things I think about this story and we often miss miss it when we look at it was that the thing that really caught Moses attention about this bush wasn't that it was burning because there was nothing extraordinary about a bush burning in the desert in fact shepherds had probably passed this same bush time and time again because in the desert climate it wouldn't have been uncommon for a bush to just burst into flames at any point in time now if you look back at Exodus 3 what you'll see is that what was unique about this bush wasn't that it was burning but that it didn't burn up just look it up and so what we see here is that Moses caught a glimpse of God A strange glimpse of God that changed his life forever, flipped his world and his life upside down, and then created a chain of events that allowed God to use him to flip the world upside down because he was moving through the desert with such a sense of intentiveness and patience that he noticed the particularity of a bush that was not only burning, but that didn't burn up. And this requires a slow and patient attention. And perhaps may reflect the fact that Moses was always living with a sense of intently looking for God's presence and God's voice in the midst of his everyday world. may you move through your week in your life like that may you move through this week with a patient attention not only being open to but actively looking for those peculiar moments in creation in your relationships, in scripture, in your prayer life, where God might show you something that you're supposed to be paying attention to. Something that, if you're open to it, might just begin to flip your perspective and your world upside down. It might just enable God to better use you as a catalyst for also flipping this world upside down. We pray together. Holy God, we are all unfinished. No matter how many years we've been at this in this world, no matter how many years we've been alive, no matter how many years we've been at understanding faith, our relationship with you we are all still works in progress and so help us this week to actively seek you help us this week in our active seeking of you to be open to you and what you want to show us help us this week to make space for your spirit And help us this week to be open to the little and large ways you want to flip our life and through us, our world, upside down. Amen.